time. Man, we got a mess. Just as I try to calm uh, myself and what I'm getting ready to do in the scripture as we open it and as the Lord that I hope that we bless, uh, you and I are going to basically skip across um, several of the hardest passages in scripture. And I think we need to do that today because we need to diagnose what is happening in our culture. We need to diagnose what is happening in our country. We need to have a little bit of the, the veil pulled back to see a little bit a bigger picture of, of what you and I are getting. Saturated with media, saturated with social media, you and I are being poisoned by disinformation, by manipulation, by other things. And the Word of God has to be the thing that we come back to to get anchored and to hang on to. And it, when you and I do that, we get the opportunity uh, to go confidently into tomorrow. Instead of waiting around for the worst to happen, waiting around for the next thing to drop, waiting around for the next thing that 2020 has to offer, and everything that we've gone through this year, uh, culminating in this election in a couple of days, has brought me to this point. But this this message has um, authority for every other day. 2020 has just brought to light many of the things that we aren't in control of, and now we've been reminded of that. It hasn't made life any more dangerous. It hasn't made life any more crazy. It's just shown you and I that there will become there will come moments that we have no control. That your hand is not on the steering wheel. There's nothing you can do about it. And this chaos that we're watching, Scripture speaks to it clearly. The problem is you have to get enough of it in to see the whole picture. This morning I want to do that with you. Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. Lord, I pray for this morning. I pray for uh, my words and my heart that they would be your words. Um, God, which is why we're going to read a lot of scripture this morning. I nor anyone else have the wisdom to deal with this moment in our culture, in our lives, as we watch things change so rapidly. Lord, as we watch the chaos come into our cities and our towns and our homes, as we uh, look and grieve the loss of friends because of social media, because of so many other things that we are uh, taking to heart and and moving, Lord, in ways that is just not healthy. It's not healthy to me as an individual, my family, my church, my community. It's not healthy to our nation. It is knowledge without wisdom. It's knowledge without relationship, and Lord, it's killing us. So I just pray that you would help us this morning to see a better picture of the worldviews in life and what ours is and what it should be. Lord, I love you and I thank you. It's an honor to be called to preach or to teach your word. May this morning honor you and lift up the name of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. There's been a lot of things floating uh, in the last couple weeks about this coming election. There's been a lot of things uh, from Christian people that now feel like they need to dip their toe into something. They feel like they need to interject in some way, uh, some for some sides and some for the others. I want to read to you a small portion of an article by John Piper, who's somebody that I respect deeply. Uh, I did not agree with much of his article because I thought that, that practically it was a little too spiritual, it was a little too simplistic in the way he wrote it, but there was one piece that hit me, and I'm going to start there today so you can see where my heart is and why I'm struggling with, with where we're going, not only as a country, but as our community and as a church. So he writes this article, and at the end of it he says, May I suggest to pastors that in the quietness of your study you do this. 
Imagine that America collapses. First anarchy, then tyranny. From the right or the left. Imagine that religious freedom is gone. And what remains for Christians is fines, prison, exile, and martyrdom. Then ask yourself, has my preaching been developing real, radical Christians? Christians who can sing on the scaffold, as many of our ancestors have, right before they were martyred for their faith. Let the goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Christians who will act like the believers of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Christians who will face hate and reviling and exclusion for Christ's sake and yet rejoice in that day and leap for joy for behold, their reward is great in heaven. That was spoken of the disciples in Luke chapter 6. Have you been cultivating real Christians who see the beauty and the worth of the Son of God? Have you faithfully unfolded and heralded the unsearchable riches of Christ of Ephesians 3.8? Are you raising up generations of those who will say with Paul, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of the glory and the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord? Have you shown them that they are sojourners and exiles, 1 Peter chapter 2, that this world is not our home, that there's heavenly citizenship from which they await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? Do they feel in their bones that to live is Christ and to die is gain? Or have you neglected these greatest of all realities and repeatedly diverted their attention onto the strategies of politics? Have you inadvertently created the mindset that the greatest issue in life is saving America and its earthly benefits? Or have you shown your people that the greatest issue is exalting Christ with or without America? Have you shown them that the people who do the most good for the greatest number for the longest time, including America, are people who have the aroma of another world with another king? It's a mouthful. It's a mouthful for a pastor to take in. It's a heart full of judgment, thought, or introspection as to what we've done in the last almost 10 years at this church. It's a challenge to look at you all and say, have, have we prepared? Have I prepared you? Have we preached the word? Have we pushed people to, to realize their heavenly citizenship? And to put their heart firmly in that basket while you and I live and work with these hands and these feet in this kingdom for that king. But our heart has to be solely there. Have we done that here? God only knows. And for that, one day I will line up and give an account. And it's a terrifying thought. Why? Because we found out in this last year that a lot of us are shaken easily when the world Switches, turns, or moves. Our grounding has been shown to be loose, and we need to tighten that back up. We need to realize what's going on. And this morning, as we walk through a couple passages of Scripture, that is my only hope to look at you and say, God knew it was coming. The, the Scriptures told us it was coming. And yet, who we serve told you and I, I go, but I will not leave you. I'm going to come again. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to love you. And we look around and we think, just what in the world? What is going on? Where are we right now? 
You see, you and I live in the freest and most prosperous nation the world has ever known. That is beyond dispute. Nobody with an honest bone in their body can say, you and I do not live in the freest and most prosperous nation the world has ever known. When you walk home today and you have heating in your home, you live better than most of the kings we read about in history. When you open the fridge and it's filled with food, when you have a pantry that's full, when you're not begging and needing every meal to be provided in that day, when you and I, God help us and God forgive us, when we don't have to pray the Lord's Prayer to give us today our daily bread, every day you wake up and you and I don't pray that prayer, we show a sign that we're living better than most of those that have come before us. And yet, in this free and prosperous nation, we're watching it just unravel. You see, we can argue about America's morality, whether it's good or not, or whatever trendy topic someone wants to talk about, but we cannot argue with the idea that we live in a free and prosperous country. At least today, as you wake up and come to church, we're not worried about anybody kicking the front door in and hauling us off to prison. You're not worried about your family excommunicating you because you now believe in Jesus Christ. You're not worried about going to prison or being fined. That you gave money to the church or that you told someone the gospel or that you looked at someone and said, this or that does not please the Lord. We live in a land that's been blessed to be both free and prosperous. Here's the problem. We also live in one that was blessed with correctability. It's correctable. We look back in the history of America and we see sinful things. We see horrible, wretched things that look like hell on earth. And yes, they happen right here. And yes, they happen with people that said they believed in the scripture and believed in God and wanted to honor him. Yes, all of those things are true. And it happens no less today. The people that claim to be Christian do ungodly things. The beauty of the country you and I were born into was it can be corrected and it has been. These evils, these atrocities that have taken place in our country did so on a far shorter time scale than any other country the world has ever known. Why? Because the Christian influence was there. The Bible was there. And even when people twisted it or corrupted it, there were others that stood in and fought the good fight and they won it. Women's suffrage. Stopping slavery. The rights of others to vote, known properly. All of these things were corrected. If you look in the history of time periods, in the history of nations, in this nation they were corrected quicker than anywhere else in the world. They were wrong and they were horrible, but godly people on the word of God fought for truth. And they won. And you and I have been blessed because of it. But as you look at what is going on in our country right now, here's the problem with what we're seeing. The things that made America correctable, the things that made us able to correct our path are being removed because every piece, every piece of a good thing that was able to be corrected was something found or rooted in Scripture. Every piece of it. Even the idea of slavery, looking at the man next to you that has a different skin color and saying, in God's image, this man and this woman was made, we cannot treat them like this. The things that the media is, is destroying our, our history about are things that were corrected by Scripture, biblical principle. And we're watching this thing unfold on both sides where we're beating up our history, and rightfully so in some cases, but yet we are removing the very foundation as to how those things were brought about and made right. 
We're unhooking from biblical command and biblical morality at a, at a breathtaking pace. And we do so to our own demise. In its darkest moments, in America's darkest moments, the church of Jesus Christ has stood in defiance of unjust laws and inhumane treatment. From slavery to poverty, from women's rights to communist fights, the church of Christ, guided by the word of God, has worked to make our country better, freer, more righteous, and fairer. And yet today we are throwing off the things that made those possible. That we would be a more fair country, that we would be a righteous country. Now we're looking at the foundation and we're chipping away at it. Why? Because we just don't believe those things anymore. Where are we at? Well, we're seeing signs of the demise. It's very close. If you're not paying attention right now, listen, I, part of my issue this morning is I've probably watched too much news. And it's just, it's, 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 it's kind of the, 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 the ground, the foundation of what we're trying to do this morning, what I'm trying to do this morning. It has my soul in chaos. But what I need you to understand is if you're not watching and paying attention, we are very, very close to not being able to come back. The media would have us believe you and I are in a race war. The media would have us to believe we are in a socioeconomic war. The media would have us believe we are in a war between the inner city and rural community. And what you and I are really in the middle of is a spiritual war where our worldviews are totally different. I need you to understand that because if your home is going in two separate directions, if our church is going in two separate directions, they will not last. They can't. Our country, we find ourselves now in 2020 living in a country where foundationally we are not attached at all to each other. The worldviews are too different. Why we are here? What's the meaning of life? What is even the American dream? Like we used to be able to shift through these things. There was one time it was biblical principle kind of grabbed everybody. And though they may not, may not be the same kind of Christian, they still believed in the morality of Scripture. And then maybe it was the American dream. Like if you come here and you just work hard and you do your thing, you'll make it. Maybe it was that at some time. But sometime in the past, we started chipping away at these foundations. And what happens is we find ourselves living in the book of Judges. Before we get to that passage, we're living in one of the darkest moments of American history. See, how do you know that? Because everything you and I are living in right now is anti-Bible. It's anti-Scripture. It's anti-God. It's anti-community. This is one of the darkest moments in American history. And I hate to unload on my church that I love so dearly, but I need you to understand and see what's coming. Why? Because in order to do what John Piper has required me to do, I have to give you the full picture. Like a doctor or a surgeon not hiding from you how bad what we're dealing with actually is. I have to show you what's going on. Let's look at some of the stuff. We've got coronavirus, right? Sickness. We've got fear everywhere. Bring in the idea in the last six to eight months of the joblessness that has now hit our country. How about this one? The isolation that has taken place. Whether it was self-imposed or whether it was in a nursing home and you couldn't be a part of Look at that isolation. That is demonic. It is satanic. It is not God's will for you and I to be isolated, especially not for six to eight months at a time. You and I were sold on something that said two weeks to stop the spread. That was March. Now the state of California says you can't have Thanksgiving. 
this isolation. I understand the virus is real. I'm not saying that. But the isolation being felt by so many people is also real, and it is demonic. You cannot be that isolated for that long. We're dealing with that. There's depression that comes with it. There's drug use that comes with it. The ODs are through the roof. Medication prescriptions are up. The exhaustion. Interacting with some of my friends this week that work in the school system, the exhaustion right now is through the roof. Everyone is trying to hit moving targets. And if you want to be good at your job, if you want to be good at what you do in health, in, in school system, in anything like that right now, you're constantly hitting moving targets, and it's wearing you out. How about this one? There's also an election coming up. So everything has been amplified ten times to create an atmosphere that brings about a political outcome. If you don't believe the media is doing that, Please take a little time and open your eyes and just watch for a couple minutes. Don't drown yourself. Information that could bring about a blessing, could bring about some peace, has been hidden and slid to the back. I remember, I've told a couple people this before, I remember when we were in uh, at, at the war in Iraq and George W. Bush had went there. Do you know what the news media did until he wasn't president anymore? They put a little something in the corner of the television that sat there 24-7. It was a death counter of the American soldiers that had been killed in the war. Why would the media do something like that? It wasn't for information. It was for agitation and manipulation. They set that number there so that they could create a political outcome the next time it was time for one. You know what disappeared as soon as Barack Obama was elected president? That death ticket. Now you flip on most news channels right now, and what are you going to see in the first 30 seconds? How many coronavirus cases there are? How many there were yesterday? How many deaths there's been? They show it four or five times an hour, and they run it on there constantly. Why are they doing that? They are manipulating your emotions. They're trying to harm you and hurt you with information so that they can create an outcome in the long term. And again, I'm not saying that the virus is not real. Do not leave here and think that at all. But you and I are being manipulated and played because you know what numbers aren't shown? How many people recovered? How many people left the hospital today? How many people had it and weren't symptomatic? We're being played. We are in a spiritual war right now. Good and evil, light and dark, eternity on the line. And it has nothing to do with an election. It has to do with worldviews, the worldview that they want to push. How about this one? We have a lack of trust and a lack of trustworthy people. So we've destroyed all the offices where trust is mandated, and then we've not filled it with people that are, that are worth being trusted. So now we don't like authority and we have rights to, but we don't backfill it with people that need to be honored and are worthy of that trust. We despise authority, we reject authority, but we absolutely need authority to function as families, churches, and a society. We are also commanded to obey the authorities when a violation of God's word isn't required. When someone tells you to violate God's word, it is your godly duty to say, no, I will not. So we live in this culture where 
We don't trust authority. We don't like authority. It's let us down. It's hurt us. But yet if we don't obey authority, it's all chaotic. You can't get any traction. There's accusations constantly. Social media, media, things that you and I ingest passively, aggressively. There are accusations, misinformation, character assassinations constantly. There's the cancellation of those that disagree with you. And friends, listen, I would beg you. Some of you are here and you're my age, a little bit older. Social media doesn't bother you that much. Let me tell you something. Grab a hold of your kids and your grandkids and protect them from this hellish evil. The more access they have to the more people, the less safe they are and the less safe their heart is. Social media culture right now wants to blacklist you as soon as you say something they don't agree with. They want to rob your livelihood and sometimes they will bully you to death, literally. You mix in that with the, with the riots, you mix in that with the history of America that's been taught so that we loathe our country. We loathe our history. You will not protect something that you hate. You will not protect something that you despise. You will not try to make it better. You will check out and cause it more chaos. The last generation has been taught that this country is horrible. It is the most racist, horrible thing the world has ever known, and it deserves to die. And we got a generation of people that believe that. You don't believe me? Turn on the media and listen to the people that are burning down cities. Tear it down, start over. They've been taught to hate their ancestors for various reasons, which in turn creates a self-loathing of the individual. I could come up here today and I could tell you all kinds of stories about my ancestors. I can tell you about my grandfather that was an abusive individual that mistreated my grandmother, that mistreated his family, that was a horrible individual. And the more I talk about that and the more I get involved with that, the more his issues become mine. Does that make sense? We come up and we could say all those things and I could constantly beat on that idea and I would eventually end up hating myself. Why? Because out of him come me. We're dealing with a whole generation of people that have that on a bigger scale. These new things mixed with our old sins of self-sufficiency, family deterioration, sexual promiscuity, and biblical rebellion have created the most demonic moment in American history. You and I are living in it. Now the title of this morning's sermon, if I would have been smart and read it to you, for such a time as this, the story of godly providence, you see, you and I can't change any of that. You can't change one piece of that by yourself. All you can do is change what's going on in your heart, who you are, who you are with God, who you are with your family, who you are with your community. You get one person to work with, that's it. But yet God has placed you and I here right now to be helpful. All the commands of Scripture are not nullified because you and I are living in a time of such turmoil. Actually, if we were to look at the time of Jesus' life, I would look at you and say, the demonic and the dark are showing up. Why? Because the light is getting brighter. The church around the world is exploding. The country of China, the communist government has cracked down on that. They've changed the Bible. They are mandating worship of their president, of their grand leader. 
tearing down churches, bulldozing them, throwing people in prison. And yet there will come a time very, very soon that the church in China will be the largest one in the world. You see, the light of Christ is getting very bright. And so the darkness also is showing itself just like it did when Jesus was living. You and I are living in the perfect storm. It's a heartbreaking perfect storm. I hate to say it like that. Proverbs chapter 6. If you want to turn to Matthew 10, and a little bit will be there, I will read to you a couple things. If you want to put your finger in Romans chapter 1, we'll be there too. Proverbs chapter 6 says this. I called it the hall of hate. Verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Proud eyes or haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans and feet that make haste to run to evil. Verse 19 says, a false witness who breathes out lies. And in this passage, God picks out one to show you and I how horrible it actually is. Six things the Lord hates, seven is an abomination. Show you how powerful this one is. What is the seventh one? He or, he or she who sows discord among brothers. The news media live their life right now sowing discord. It makes them money, gives them power. Politically, it allows them to manipulate what they want to do. But let me tell you something, they didn't invent that. You know who invented that? The church. The church of Jesus Christ in 2020, America is impotent. It has no power, it has no authority, and there is the sin. If you could put your finger on one that has caused us the most issue it is the abomination to God, he or she that sows discord among brothers. It's been done in churches for years. A lot of times it was done under the context of a prayer request. Oh, let me, let me tell you, so you can pray for so-and-so. Their life's a mess, their kid's a mess, their marriage is a mess. They're doing this or they're doing that. Oh, man, I just pray, I just pray for them. It is sowing discord. It is changing your perspective of someone by feeding bad information. And for years, the church invented this. The enemy got in, and this was the whispers that have robbed and destroyed many churches. He or she who sows discord among brethren. You read through that passage, man, there's a lot of wicked things in that passage. Hands that shed innocent blood. You're telling me God calls out how we use our tongue in a way to hurt others. He calls that out more than hands that shed innocent blood. According to Proverbs chapter 6, yes. And it ought to scare you and I to death. It is so easy to get involved in those kinds of things and to use your words to spread rumors, to spread hurt, to change people's uh, uh, opinion of others by the way you frame a story. This has killed so many churches. But so many people were too cowardly to push against it. Why? Because a lot of times it comes from a 75-year-old sweet mama that had been there forever. And nobody had the guts to say, you can't say that. That's evil, wicked, not right. You got a problem with so-and-so, go talk to so-and-so. If you can't get it resolved, then come get someone else and they'll go with you. And we'll work through this together. But is it not amazing to you to see that list of things and then say, that's the one God pulls out? Lying tongue, proud eyes, feet that run to wickedness. They just can't wait to get there. 
You say, why do I bring this passage into this sermon? Because you and I are living in all of this. Wake up tomorrow. Go to Facebook, look around, turn on the news, try to get caught up, and you will see every one of those things. And the Bible says God hates them. And yet our culture feeds them. Feeds them. Today it's feeding them. Deuteronomy 18.10 says this, there shall, be, uh, not, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his or her son or daughter as an offering. If Proverbs chapter 6 says the Lord hates the shedding of innocent blood and you and I live in a country that has slaughtered 65 million children in the world. And everybody likes to hit the low-hanging fruit. They like to compare people to Hitler. Why? Because he was a horrible person that killed 6 million Jews. We've killed almost 11 times that as a nation. The arguments have gotten so convoluted that you actually have Christians now standing up and pretending like this isn't the biggest deal to talk about. Slaughter the innocent. Everything else is perverted. There's no decision after that that can be clear if you are okay with this practice. If the people that run our country are okay with this practice, if it doesn't pierce their soul or hurt them, you cannot get anywhere else. This is a foundational issue. What do you do with the weakest? Do you protect them or do you slaughter them? In the Old Testament, remember that 400-year time period that the nation of Israel was in Egypt and they were exiled there, they were made slaves and all this stuff? What was God doing for the land that he was getting ready to give them? The wickedness was increasing. And what was one of the things that that land was doing that was so wicked? They were offering their children on the idols. You say, what's that story look like? Well, they heated an idol from the inside with fire. And the idol sat there with its hands like this, and the mother and the father would go, and they would place that child in the burning hands of that idol until it died. History would tell us during that time period, they beat the drums louder so you didn't hear the babies. Our problem is we perfected it because we do it in the womb where they can't scream. And you and I are voting for people that are leading us down that direction and they don't see an issue with that. We deserve what's coming. We perfected it. You don't have to beat any drums. You just do it in the womb and throw them in a garbage can. Or if you're playing parenthood, you sell it. You know who got in trouble for exposing that story? The guy that exposed it went undercover and caught him talking about it. You know who the government punished? Him. Every day you and I wake up with an opportunity to correct this, you and I need to start thanking God for his grace. We perfect it. The soon-to-be Vice President, Kamala Harris, 
In her eyes, it was worse to expose what Planned Parenthood was doing than it was to sell baby parts. That close to the presidency. Judges chapter 2 says this. Judges 2.11, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That's the context of Judges King, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. What does that sound like? Welcome to America. We're so open-minded our brains fell out. That's what Robbie Zacharias said. We're so open-minded that our brains fell out. Our moral compass has been firmly planted in midair. There's nothing foundational to grab a hold of it with. You and I, listen, we love these people. We love them. We have to. They're our world. They're our ministry. They're our mission field. But you and I have got to come up with a better way to combat this. We don't pick up swords and slaughter people, but we also don't cower in the corner like sheep or imbeciles or mutes and not have something to say. Your vote counts. You count in your community. You count in this church. You get a say in how the direction of the country goes. That's what makes us different than every other country the world has ever known. They had to follow Nero. He was in charge. You and I are voting for him or her. They're not great choices. I understand that. Use some wisdom. Dig through the party platforms. Dig through what's going on. Look at their history. Figure it out. And just place your best vote. Because why? Let me tell you something. As an American, you and I are going to give an account for that stewardship. A lot of people want to act like it's not a big deal. It's a secular thing. It's no big deal. I can just do what I want. You have a say in who you follow. Pick wisely. Because one of the problems is this. You and I won't live to deal with the real chaos that comes, but our children and our grandchildren will. You don't believe that? Talk to your grandparents if they're still living and ask them what life was like when they were 20 or 30. Ask them if they ever believed that they would live in a culture where we're letting eight-year-olds, listen to me, we're letting eight-year-olds decide what sex they want to be, but a 16-year-old can't buy a Coke at high school. We've lost our minds. Seen that case? I think it's in Texas. Guy and mom are fighting over what sex the child is, and the sex is the, the child is like eight or nine. And mom and dad have to fight in court about what's next. California is going to start putting criminals, convicts that identify differently with the people they identify with. Now you talk to your grandparents and tell me they thought that was coming. You talk to your grandparents and tell me if they thought that giving hormones to eight-year-olds that aren't smart enough to figure out whether or not they can buy a Coke and drink it at school is a good idea. Am I the only person that thinks that's insane? This kid isn't smart enough to buy a Coke, but they can walk into the counselor's office and get a condom. Kid isn't smart enough to buy a coat. But they can line up having an abortion. Many times without their parents' knowledge. They get the plan B the morning after pill. 
maybe we'll just eject it out of the body and nobody will ever have to know. Or, you know, some sweet counselor or some sweet college professor or some sweet somebody will line them right up with a nice visit to Planned Parenthood. Walk right in with them. Feels like a real loving thing to do. Sit down there with you and go with you and you can just pierce your soul with the murder of a child. But you're not smart enough to know how much sugar you could you should consume in a day. This has got to be what hell feels like. At least for the believer. To look around and to grieve what's going on. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. A tragic curse to hear the words, your will be done. When you and I say them to the Lord, we cannot hand them to a safer person, one that loves us more, one that desires our good more. We cannot hand them to a safer person than when you and I look at him and we say, your will be done. But let me tell you something. When he looks at us and says, your will be done, go ahead, your will be done, you can guarantee that chaos is to follow. Tears will follow. Pain will follow. Grief will follow. Romans chapter 1 says this. Verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God revealed from faith, for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, whom by their own unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. God help us. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26. For this reason God gave them to dishonorable passions for their women, exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature and men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error verse 28 and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done and they filled with all manner of unrighteousness evil covetousness malice they are full of envy murder strife deceit maliciousness they are gossips slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Parents, are you listening? Disobedient to parents. They are foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. I hope your hair stands up. I hope the chill runs down your spine. You're looking at our culture. 
You're looking at our culture. And listen, those that don't know the Lord that live this way, you and I don't expect anything else out of them. They would have carnal ways. We pray for them. We love them well. We, we, we express the kingdom to them. Hopefully, dear God, they smell the aroma of heaven on us as family. But don't expect them to live any different than that. You and I are called to help in that. We're called to bring the kingdom here now. To be a part of what God is doing. And these are the people he saves. He saves sinners. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is one of those beautiful passages in all of scripture. It runs through a list just like that. And the apostle Paul looks at the church at Corinth and he says, And such were some of you. But you have been bought with price. Honor God with your body. Honor the Lord with your life. You see, God only saves sinners. Sinners that do the most wicked and vile of things, a lot of times those are the only people that will realize eventually, you know what? I'm not a good person. I need some help. I need the Lord. And they are right to be brought into the kingdom. And so when we read these things about the world, we don't see them necessarily as our enemy. We see them as our mission field, but we know they work for our enemy. The devil himself and the worldly systems are bent against God and his righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 3 would say many of the same things. In that chapter, the word that always sticks out to me is unappeasable. You can't make them happy. It would say many of the same things in that passage. This is what the, this is what the world is going to look like. This is what the vicious nature of mankind. Can you see why people will beg for the Prince of Peace to come? My heart is already begging for it. I got a lot of life left in me, I hope. Children and grandchildren come and all the blessings of life. But I tell you what. There was a time period that there was a huge switch now because my heart just yearns for the king to come. I don't want my children to have to suffer for their faith in America, and yet we are one vote away from that. One vote on the Supreme Court, one vote in a, in a state capital, one vote in the national capital, and to look at someone and say, this lifestyle is sinful, you can't live like this, God is going to judge it, it's for your own good, and they will say, you can't say that, it's hate-filled. They walk into the church and say, you will marry whoever tells whoever comes in and wants to be married. They walk into the church and say, you know what? We broadcast the scripture. We're going to vet it first like they do in Canada. Then we'll put out what's left just to make sure there's no hate speech there. We walk in two realms right now. The realm of God's sovereignty where we know that what he does is okay and good and it's for our blessing. So be it, Lord. Amen. But the other realm is this. We're watching it in real time and thinking, man, if we could just convince someone that this is a poor argument. If we could just convince someone that living that lifestyle is going to curse you. It's not going to bless you. The sexual revolution in our country has destroyed so much, we'll never get it back. We don't even know what sexual assault is anymore. Remember that story from a couple years ago? The whole Me Too movement is based off the idea that we have butchered God's gift of sex so bad we don't even know what assault or rape is anymore. You better get a form signed that there's consent before you go any further. We are insane. We're absolutely insane. But if you look at someone and say, that sexual ethic will get you in trouble. That's hate speech. Don't condemn me. Who are you to judge? God says, do it my way. All of our life, God says, do it my way. 
It will be a blessing, not a curse. Let me finish with you with Matthew chapter 10. Because why? Because we're living in the perfect storm, but you and I have a perfect Savior. We have a perfect Savior that partook with us. I'm going to be done in about 10 minutes. Because there's a couple pieces of this passage that people love to quote, but you've got you to get it all. You've got to get it all. Because the whole message is a little harder to deal with than a couple of the snippets that we love. In the world of Adam's treachery, Jesus comes. Adam and Eve betray God. Jesus comes. In the world of Babel's self-exaltation, God says, go, be fruitful, multiply. God says, take over the earth and subdue it. And when you read the story of Babel, the story of Babel is, no, we will stay here and we will build a mighty tower so that no one will ever be separated. It is self-exaltation. In that world, Jesus comes. In Noah's world of preaching the gospel and no one ever coming in and saying, yes, I want to be a part of that. I want to be saved from my sin. In that world, Jesus comes. Noah's world of no converts, Jesus comes. In Jacob's deceptions, when you read through Genesis, Jesus comes. In Israel's complacency, in their complicit behavior with the other nations, Jesus comes. To brutal Rome, with all of its death, to brutal Rome, Jesus comes. And in the legalistic nature of the Jews at the time, into that legalistic world, Jesus comes. Why does he come? He comes to be our perfect Savior. He comes to show us the completed picture of God. He comes to this world so that you and I may one day go to His. But what does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 10 that we so often miss? Judge not, lest you be judged. We can, we can rattle that one off. How about this one, friends? Verse 34, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace for a sword. Me, me, Jesus says that? Better believe it. You and I are living in it right now. See, the world doesn't have a, a real problem with God. It doesn't have a real problem with religion. What it has a problem with is, is when you say Jesus Christ is the only way to the Lord. And the Bible is his word. It is complete. We need to follow it. Then people, their hair gets on fire. The exclusivity of the truth drives them crazy. It drives them mad. Like Rome of old, they'll deal with many gods. They will not deal with one. Jesus said, do not come. Do, uh, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father. Man, that's hardcore. And a daughter against her mother. Are you sure Jesus is saying this? Is that in red letters in your Bible? doesn't sound like something he'd say. He's way too loving for that. Just meek and mild little baby Jesus. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than they love me is not worthy of me. Lord, have mercy. That bar is so high. Help us. And whoever loves son or daughter more than they love me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Not for the first time in human history, but for the first time in American history, you and I may be living in that right now. You want to stand on the authority of the Word of God? You want to live by the conviction of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? Jesus said, I'm handing you a sword. It's going to be used in your own home. 
Father and son separated. Mother and daughter separated. Say, so who does the separate? I'm going to be honest with you. Most of the time, it's them. Most of the time, their darkness cannot handle your light. So the more you love and the more you look like Christ, the more distance they want. They're going to talk about you. They're going to be mean to you. They're going to despise you. And in that, you're going to be gaining heavenly reward. Why? Because Jesus said, I am worth it. I've got more for you than they can ever give by their nice words and the pat on the back. We've got tons of Christians right now that are trading the authority of the Word of God to stand in it because they're going to take a little bit of a beating. People that I have loved and respected for years and read their books and read their works are waffling right now because they can't figure out what to do with the nuance of what we're going through. Somehow we've made it equivalent that somebody can say bad words and somebody can murder babies and both of those are pretty much the same. Not the same. Say, prove it. Okay? Hate your neighbor and murder them. See any difference there? Jesus calls them the same. God's eyes are the same. There's a different punishment. There's different criminality. We're living in this right now. Be discerning. I don't care. Listen, I don't care who you vote for. What I want you to leave today with is the knowledge that you have been given stewardship and you better deal with it wisely. Because you're helping and hurting causes that you and I know very little about. Dig into these people. Abstain from voting. Do whatever your conscience tells you to do. But I'm here to tell you today, you don't get to make your mind up solo. I have said this now for years. You don't get to vote in the church. You don't get to vote in the culture and not have bathed it in prayer and wanted God's will. You don't get to do it. You have given yourself over to another. And his name is Jesus. He is to be in charge even of worldly things. For such a time as this, you got Esther, they've been working through that study on Wednesday nights forever, and you got you and I, a spirit-filled me and you is what the Lord wants to use to change what's going on in our culture. They want to change it in your home first. God wants to change it in our church second. He wants to change it in your community and where you work and the people you spend time with. Then after that, there will be access to bigger things. But don't despise the small things thinking you and I can make changes in the big things. That's getting a lot of people in trouble right now. Go love your family. Love your church. Love your community. This kind of change is hard. It takes a while. On Wednesday morning, we'll wake up and we'll know what direction our country is going in. That will be immediate. If you take this message and I take this message, and we use it for the kingdom 50 years from now, when you and I wake up in King Jesus' presence, he will tell us the good that was done. Because you and I left here today and said, you know what, this far and no further. I will have good arguments. I will push back against sinful behavior. You have been providentially and purposely placed here in this moment, in 2020, for a reason that God wants to use. Why is that? Psalm 139, 16, you saw my unformed substance. Uh, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. It is no accident you are here right now, and you are living today and tomorrow to go about the will of God. You are here on purpose. The Lord chose his 12, 12 that no one else wanted, and he sent them out to change the world. We have our Peters, our James, our Johns in the church. We even have a couple Judases running around. Jesus chose them. You and I are here for this moment on purpose. 
It's time for us to do what it is we need to do. We need to live and act like we are on mission. And finally, in uh, Matthew chapter 10, as they come this morning to finish and to play, I'm sorry we're a couple minutes long. Jesus finishes with this. I told you, Matthew 10, we love our pieces of it. We love to hear about how God knows every sparrow, right? We love the idea that God, there's not a bird that's going to hit the ground that God doesn't know about. And for you and I, that just feels so comforting. But in the context of the passage, let me read a little bit more of it to you. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you out of courts and flog you in the synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or for what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? Jesus said, if they called me Satan, how much more will they hate you? So have no fear of them. For nothing covered, there's nothing covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Goes on to talk about the sparrow. Goes on, goes on to talk about the hairs of your head. Fear not, therefore, you are far more valuable than sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Today I finish with that idea. Do we know him? Have we unfolded the truths of Scripture where God is more important to you and to me? than any creature comfort we've been handed. I want to look and say, going forward, there's going to be a revival and people are going to come back together and we're going to be able to bridge these gaps. But if it's not God's will, are you going to fold? Am I going to fold? We're going to deny Him? Or are we going to be like those that have come before us, those men and women that have loved Him even to their own cross? The story says that Peter, when he got there, he begged them not to crucify Him the way His Lord had died. Why? Because He was not worthy. So he asked them to crucify Him upside down. You say, this guy's crazy. He's off his rocker. He's watched too much news. You're not paying attention. There's a truth and reconciliation uh, 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 council being floated around right now by those that are of a certain uh, political uh, bend. And they want to bring people before it and let you confess your sins in front of people. And how you help do this and help do that and how you can be forgiven by the culture. We're that close. Stand up and say, I love the Lord, okay? Are you ready to give? Because it's coming. We need to pray like we can make changes. And then we need to wake up tomorrow in the sovereignty of God, knowing, Lord, you said you were worth it. You said you would never leave me. You said you would never forsake me. You said you would come again and get me. 
I'm begging you right now, Lord, work in your church, work in your people. We need to wake up tomorrow with both those feet walking forward. God, you're sovereign. You're in charge. What you say goes, and I will trust it. Lord, help us. Bring about revival. Bring about a people again that can get along, that have something in common, that want to love you, that don't want wickedness to prevail. See, Romans chapter 13 says the government's job is to make sure that the wicked pay. What happens if your government starts to make wickedness law? What happens if our government starts to look at you and I and say, that's not wicked. That's just normal. You need to deal with it. You need to accept that you're celebrating. It's that close. I love you. I don't want you to be unprepared. I have to be preaching something that gets you all ready if those days do come. If not, I will be held accountable. This morning was not a morning. I wanted to be a part of this. But it's a morning that I know I have to. If I leave you unaware and it hits us and you're not ready, I'm accountable for that. I can tell you today that it's coming. I can look at you today and say, are you ready? If not, you need to be doing business with God right now. We need disciples, not converts, not, not wonderful pew sitters and church sitters, not people that help, not people that lock the door, not people that teach the kids. We need disciples that draw lines in the sand and say, for his name I'll suffer. Why? Because with his name I will reign. Amen?